And uh, any more hairstyles uh, we're going to see for the rest of the week? I don't know. We'll uh, have to stay tuned and, and see, I guess. <laughs> hey, podcast listener. You're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I, I, I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 57 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking hairstyles. Hey there, Semi-Pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And starting off with a very quick review from Vinny T in Australia. Polished, well-researched, and entertaining. Five stars. I was put onto this podcast by a friend. It's far and away the best cycling podcast I have found so far worldwide. It's easy to listen to. There's no mucking about, and the content is right on the money. The sound quality is very professional, and the presenter is obviously very passionate and knowledgeable about his subject. Great work. Keep it up, Damien. Wow. Thank you very much for dropping that review, T-Dog, and I really appreciate the friend that passed it on to you, and if you like this show, it would be great if you passed it on to someone that you know, but also head on over to iTunes if you haven't written a review for the show and you do like it because I really have five stars in my eyes. And the news this week, I'll tell you one thing, the Enico Tour of Belgium, I don't even know if that's how you say it, but Renshaw winning, what can you say about this guy as soon as soon as he signs a contract to join Cavendish next year, he comes away with the win. Granted, it wasn't even in a bunch sprint. He snuck away at the end and... I've got to say, I'm super happy for him, but it couldn't come at a worse time, really. Is he now going to renew his want to be a sprinter, or does he realize that he is destined to be a lead-out man for the rest of his life? And we will probably still remember him, because Cavendish will be the best sprinter of the modern era. That is a big call, but that is definitely what I think about Cavendish. Other news, the Tour of Utah. I've got to say, the US teams did really well. Of course, this is one of their home races. It is slightly smaller than the Tour of Cali. And I was very impressed with the guys that came out. And it's interesting that it was the old dogs. We were talking about Chris Horner coming away here and showing a bit of his form and that he's going to be fighting in the welter for a place. I don't think he can win, but I think he's fighting for a place. Also, the Australian contingent did very well. Michael Matthews, Orica Green Edge went away with two wins, and that is super impressive for the young guy. And really, I heard the call the other day for him to go for classics, and he's already a couple of years behind. The experience that he needs to get in there and vie for the win in a couple of years' time. I really think he has the potential to win classics as well because he can climb. He has definitely proved himself in the Tour of Utah that he can stick with some big guns up small climbs. So I hope he gets a chance next year to start getting the experience so we can see him win in a couple of years. The last bit of news, Garmin pedals. I just missed the news for last week's show. They were released on the same morning as the podcast, but what can I say? They're finally here. And 
Am I excited? Well, I don't know. It seems like in between Garmin talking it up when they bought Metro Gear like three years ago, there has been some revelations, and one of them is what I spoke about last week with PowerTap, dropping their prices. The other one, of course, is Stages, and that will kind of get momentum now that DC Rainmaker has given it a favorable review. I haven't personally heard anything about the Stages power meter being used by cyclists yet, so I have no idea on that front. But it kind of means that things are hotting up. One thing that popped into my mind is, okay, Garmin pedals are going for the 3D, which is power from both sides. Can't they just go for one side and half the price? I would really like to know if there is an option out there for me to go halves with someone, buy an equivalent pedal from Welgo or whoever's making their pedals and just ride with one on one side. I think that's a viable option for cutting the price down, but it still means that the price is around 800 bucks for power. That's not going to change in a while unless we see Keith Hack getting up and getting his product into Kickstarter, but I'm going to talk more about that in coming episodes because I think that is a really exciting project because from the outset, he has gone out and he wants to get a cheap power meter and he's talking around 300 bucks. Well, that's the figure I would like. And so... If he gets 300 bucks, they will explode. Let's see where that goes. But anyway, I hope, I hope that someone gets some Garmin pedals and tells me all about them because for me, they're still a mystery and I don't know how durable they really will be. Okay, so the nuts and bolts this week, plotting your pace in a time trial race. So once the hard work in training is done, it's time to start thinking about optimizing your race through pacing. And it really, it is fitness that comes down to winning a race, but there's so much more that goes into it. Pacing is super important. It can be more powerful than your overall power output, which I will get into a moment. But one thing that every cyclist faces is the challenge of thinking clearly while you're on the edge. So that's where having a plan can help you make decisions under pressure. And while some riders that race with heart alone may disagree with this point, being able to ride a calculated race is a skill in itself. Just ask the Skybots. No, I'm just joking, but riding by numbers, it's a bit controversial, but I've got to say, I would think that every single pro that is riding a time trial is riding by some type of number or metric. In its simplest form, bike racing is about who can ride a set distance the fastest. Well, We all know that is absolute bullshit. Even in cyclocross or mountain bike races where you have a constant effort, you still have to consider other factors. There is definitely no way in a road race that you're going to be able to ride at your own pace. You've got a much better chance at using a pacing strategy in a race that requires a constant effort, like I spoke about cyclocross and mountain biking. But the big one for me is time trials. You really have a lot more control over these efforts than a road race. So this episode is just going to focus on the race of truth and the strategy behind it. So time trials and specifically time trials over 10 minutes. Why 10 minutes? I believe that anything under 10 minutes has one strategy and that strategy is balls out, all out from start to finish. 
just putting your head down and going as hard as you can for 10 minutes, if you have the fitness, you should be able to roll out without fading too much at the end. Yes, it can happen and you can potentially blow yourself in a minute, but I think as endurance athletes, we're a little bit more in tune with our bodies and we're going to get away with 10 minutes of solid effort. It's when you start talking about greater than 10 minutes that it really begins to get a little tricky when you're talking optimal pacing to get the most out of yourself. I'm only going to reference power when I'm talking about pacing here. I really believe that power is far superior to heart rate and subjective feelings. So at its most basic level, pacing can be thought of as the distribution of what you are capable of producing over a set time. So it's pretty straightforward if you think about it like that. Except if you were to go out and ride a time trial without planning your distribution or pacing, you would soon find yourself blowing up or at least not leaving all of your watts on the road. The first logical question that I asked myself when I sat down to write about pacing, whether self-selecting a pace or having a planned pace is going to be better because if it's self-selected, then basically there's no episode and you can stop listening now. But when do you even need to pace? Because there definitely are counterintuitive recommendations in cycling, especially when it comes to self-selecting. Things like self-selecting cadence and even how much you drink on the bike, the evidence is pointing towards that it's better if you have self-directed drinking. So our natural tendency for pacing seems to be starting out much higher than what we end up averaging. And this is referenced as the J-curve in all of the studies that I've read. And it seems to result in a slightly slower overall time trial than either a consistent pacing or a more conservative initial increase strategy, which is starting off slower and ramping it up. The best way that I heard about this is rolling out the carpet. But to investigate this point further, there is a study that I came across and it's called Pacing Strategies During a Cycling Time Trial, which simulated headwinds and tailwinds. It's put out by two people, Atkinson and Brunskill, from the Research Institute for Sport and Exercise Sciences in Liverpool in the UK. And basically, they were testing a time trial, which was an out-and-back time trial. It was all done on an ergo, programmed into a CompuTrainer, I believe, with their own bikes. But it was an out-and-back time trial with a headwind and then a tailwind. So this was programmed in. The first round was the riders completing at a self-selected pace. So once they had that self-selected pace, they did a second time trial of exactly the same course, except the average that they got from the first time trial was then the average they were trying to aim in the second at a constant rate. So they were just setting the average and trying to stick to that average regardless of a headwind or a tailwind. The third and final time trial that they conducted was a variable rate one where they actually had a 5% higher output into the headwind and then they reduced the power output by 5% coming back with a tailwind. The results definitely support having a pacing plan in place because the constant time trial that they did, there was a significant increase on average of 10 seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it really could be a lot if you're talking 
about a short time trial. But the second one, the variable one, was where things were even better and the average was 12 seconds, which was significant. They also took into account other factors such as RPE and lactate and they found that none of these changed significantly depending on the strategy, but the time increased because of the variable strategy that was adopted in the third time trial. So it definitely points to me that a planned pacing strategy is worth it when it comes to distributing your watts. This study brings up a few interesting points that pre-writing the course without a strategy is a good way to test your output. And secondly, that the type of resistance is going to play a big part when selecting your output pace. So two ways to help you find your average watts for any given course. Time here is the biggest factor. A close second is your potential power output or your power profile if you have done one. Pacing, said another way, is the maximal power that you can hold for any given time frame. So the first thing you ask yourself when looking at a specific course is, how long do I think the course is going to take me in time? So just like in the study, the best method would actually be going out and writing the course as hard as you can to test out what your average watts are at the end of that ride. This really is the best way to judge what you are capable of on a specific course because it takes into all of the factors that contribute to your average watts. It can also give you a physiological indicator in how you feel after the effort itself and you can look for signs of either overworking or underworking so you can adjust that average watts accordingly. Another way to do this is if you are unable to get to the course is model the course. So obtaining an ideal power profile and then loading that data into a programmable ergometer, this would allow you to both confirm the physiological feasibility of the profile and to train for a particular event. But don't switch off too early because this has been possible for a few years now and the technology is getting cheaper and cheaper and there is a newly released Wahoo Fitness Segments that is a game changer in this space. I'll link to the app itself and it basically takes Strava Segments and transforms them into a profile, an erg file and profile for your kicker trainer. So this allows you to jump on the trainer and ride that course so you know and you can test out pacing strategies. You can test out how you feel at the end, whether you need to turn it up or turn it down. If you don't have any of this available to you, then it's definitely just going to come down to figuring out what this is based on your power profile, namely your FTP, if it is something like a 40-kilometer time trial. This definitely could work for smaller events. So I'm definitely not suggesting that you could go back and every single Tuesday time trial or whatever that you go through and study the course, put it into an ergometer and then train with that. But for big events definitely leaves nothing to chance for bigger events and there is more focus here and I'm sure you could come up with a decent estimate especially if you have experience on a variety of courses so for anything smaller just an estimate based on your power profile is really going to be the best starting point once you have this figure next comes the important part which is working out the distribution of that power and this is going to be largely based on the type of resistance that you'll encounter and this for me is where it really starts to get interesting because resisting forces such as wind and gravity are the main culprits of when and how to adjust your pacing plan so pacing strategies for the wind if we talk about flat 
flat courses, at minimum that you are subjected to air resistance, and at maximum you're subjected to air resistance and wind. And so the four wind conditions that you can account for in your plan, given that air resistance will always be present, the four types of wind that you will encounter are no wind, crosswind, headwind, and tailwind. So starting at no wind, ideally you are aiming for an even pacing strategy. You want to keep your watts consistent and steady for the entire race, which I happen to think is very hard to do. My suggestion is actually negative splitting, which is starting slow and getting faster by breaking the race down into segments. The segments themselves can be as small or as big as you want them, but even if you're just racing the first half of the race slower than the second, it can be as simple as that. This is seen as a way to reduce carbohydrate as a fuel and limiting accumulation of such things as lactic buildup early on in the race, which then mean you can get everything out when you need to at the end of the race. I would say mentally going in with a strategy of negative splitting may be slightly harder but I think as you start getting closer to the finish line you'll be able to adjust for this it'll really enable you to pick up the pace if you've done the first half of the race successfully and you've been able to hold back hold back hold back so the second type of wind the crosswind much like riding with no wind the one thing that you have in a crosswind is consistency. So you have a constant wind there, especially if it's an out and back course. Again, a constant wattage pacing strategy would work best to battle the constant resistance. Trying to also negative split a constant crosswind for me is the best bet in my mind because it cancels out any benefit. And really, a crosswind is like racing with no wind at all. So the third and fourth types of wind, headwind and tailwind, on any course, you're going to have variation of wind direction. So I've clumped in head and tailwinds together, assuming that the course is similar to the study, that it's a flat out and back course. You will definitely benefit from riding a higher than average pace into a headwind and a lower than average pace with a tailwind. Whether you start with the headwind or the tailwind, it will make no difference at all on paper. It'll definitely be harder in the race, but I would still plan accordingly. So how much should be the difference? This is something that you're going to have to play with and experiment yourself because there are a lot of factors that go into it. I would start with a percentage as high as 15%. The study itself had 5%, but we can't really tell how trained athletes they were. It kind of suggests that they were at least cat 4 downwards. So it means that you could ramp up that percentage and still get away with it if you are above cat four. So depending on your ability to recover from hard efforts will kind of dictate what that percentage is. But this is definitely where a power profile comes in handy when looking at what you're capable of. So don't leave this for race day though. It is really a risky gamble to take. You want to have this sorted well before you get to race day. So the next part of the resistance is pacing strategies for hills. And when the road goes up, gravity takes over from the wind as the greatest resistance factor. At the top, I mentioned that a constant pacing strategy is ideal in an ideal world, which it's definitely not when you're outside in the elements. It's just not possible for me to keep the same wattage both on a climb and a descent. I don't know about you, but this is my recommendation. And definitely to counter this, 
It's the same idea as riding into a headwind and a tailwind, which is to temporarily go into the red zone with a higher wattage and then recover at a slightly lower wattage on the descent. So this is where knowing the course becomes really important in planning your strategy. The types of hill plays a really big role in planning out the wattage and again, using your power profile to guide you through this and how hard you ride up each type of hill will be a really good starting point. 5% is a good starting point here and I'm being slightly conservative because hills really have a tendency to fuck you over if you're not prepared for them. So where a course has flat sections and hills, you want to adjust down by riding at a little less on the flat than you would on the hills. So I mentioned this because it will give you a chance to increase your power as your cadence reduces on the climbs. If there is a flat after a climb though, ride at your normal wind adjusted pace. If all of this sounds super complicated, it kind of is, but a lot of it will be innate for you if you've been riding for a while. This is really all about optimization and it's definitely something to work up to rather than starting out with a super complicated plan that just goes to shit because your mind collapses and your body can't even handle it. So start with something simple like a negative split at a halfway point and knowing what time you should hit halfway and then bring it home strongly. It's the pros that have the DS in their ear, checking wind, working out the length of climbs and the rider's ability, training for specific events, etc. So don't be too bummed if you can't find a way to work all of these elements into your plan. And just to round this out, I got three extra tips for sticking to the plan. Number one, there is no harm in taking 15 to 30 seconds to get up to your target watts from the start. Don't bust out to a thousand watts and then slowly drop down and then go from there. Take your time to get up to your average watts and I definitely would practice this because you can go either way you can go too easy or too hard without any practice number two is during the event itself a small gradient map of the course can be marked up with power bands as a pacing aid a more sophisticated solution which hopefully we will see coming if they're not banned in the future is the recon jet sunglasses which are kind of like google glasses but the sport version they look awesome they're coming out in february 2014 they are 600 bucks but as soon as that price starts to creep down i think this is really a legitimate option especially on a time trial bike when it's hard to look at your computer while you're totally on the edge frazzing out now number three and the final extra tip for sticking to the plan is train your pacing strategy interval pacing is definitely a part of this as well and I want to talk about interval pacing just quickly because interval pacing can make or break your workouts if you're not doing them correctly. So what you actually want to see is not a steady effort. The best effort possible is indicated by a U-shape. So the U-shape is where you start strong, settle in and then finish strong. You can kind of think of it as negative splitting the J-curve but I don't think that really helps any better. But you're wanting to see that strong start, settle in, and strong finish. It's when you start to fade out at the end, that's when you know your session is done. That is just a little tip to help with interval pacing, but I hope overall that you are able to plot out a pacing strategy that helps you get that extra edge on your competitors. So let's move now to the tech hacks and product section. And this week, it's an iPhone app. I don't know whether you are aware that I use an iPhone with a Wahoo Fitness Reflect slave display on my handlebars. So I 
have been using the Wahoo Fitness app, which I find is absolutely perfect and it is really easy to get my data off at the end of a ride. Plus, the setup works fine. But I'm coming into a phase now where I'm starting to play around with a few different types of intervals and I'm not sure whether Wahoo has that capacity within that app itself. So I found an app and it's called iMobile Intervals, and you can check it out at iMobileIntervals.com. What it is, it's basically just an app that would do what a Garmin and Garmin Connect would do. So you can go to Garmin Connect, or you can go to this website and lay out your exact workout requirements, You know whether it's based on the time, the zone you want to be in, the warm-up, warm-down. You can also choose the music that you want to play at every single step of the interval along the way, which I think is super cool, especially because it's plugged into my phone and I don't need to touch anything at all. I have been using this for a few workouts now. It's a little fiddly to get set up, but I think even if I had a Garmin, I would find the same thing. But I'm really liking the display. It's slightly different to the Wahoo Fitness one. The display seems a lot clearer and a lot easier. I had a lot of trouble finding the lap button, which kind of pissed me off when I was first riding because I had to stop and get my phone out and press the button and then go from there. But outside of that, I'm really liking the control over music. I'm really liking the simplicity of the face and everything seems to be working fine. It uploads automatically to iMobile intervals. And there are some other features at the website itself, like automatic reminders, you can set calendars, you can set training plans. So it kind of overlaps with Garmin Connect, but I don't use either of those except for just putting together these workouts. So far, I'm really happy with it. And if you are one of the rare ones that has a similar setup to me, then I would definitely go and check it out, especially if you do have a Wahoo Kicker because it can control the Kicker from your iPhone as well. So I will report back after I've used this for a little bit longer and let you know how I get on. Now, that quote from the top of the show, it's Lachlan Morton. Do you know the guy? Do you know the mustache? He's the Aussie that came away with his first pro win in the Tour of Utah. He rides for Garmin Sharp. He is no stranger to the Tour of Utah, though, coming seventh in 2010, and he's only a young lad at 21. He's been on the Garmin development team for a couple of years now, and he's finally stepped up. I really like him. I think he's quite humble and he comes across as very authentic. Plus, he's a little bit of a hipster. And remember, the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast is pro-hipster. And that's it for this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 